The next division we're going to do here is the AFC South. We're going to start with the Tennessee Titans, the team that won the division last season, the team that won the AFC in the regular season, but unfortunately were one and done, losing a home game to the Cincinnati Bengals on the Bengals' run to the Super Bowl. Obviously, their loss after being the one seed brought up a lot of questions of, you know, when you go 4-0 against the Jaguars and Texans and things like that, how impressive was their 2021 season in the in the grand scheme of things? And the biggest question comes back to their quarterback because Ryan Tannehill really just choked in that game against the Cincinnati Bengals. One touchdown, three interceptions. Um, the season prior played pretty poorly in <clears> – <throat> the playoff game against the Baltimore Ravens, but really from the first pass of the game, he looked completely overwhelmed in this situation. It almost looked like because they were the one seed and because they were the favorites, he looked like he was playing with you know, too many expectations on his plate, and he looked like he was carrying that pressure with him from the very first snap of the season. He talked about during this offseason, um, when everyone was kind of killing him for saying whatever he said about Malik Willis, he said, you know, that one thing he did was he had to seek therapy to kind of just get over, you know, some of the emotional trauma of, like I, I said, I think there was just a lot weighing on him in that game that probably, you know, he shouldn't have put that much pressure on himself, but I think two straight years, you know, he comes in, this is now his fourth season. He comes in, you know, for that first like half of a season plus, and they get to the AFC Championship. And then, like I said, plays poorly against the Ravens after a really strong regular season. Plays poorly against the Bengals after a really strong regular season. So this is really the turning point here. And they do draft Malik Willis, a player who I think the anticipation is he's not going to play this season. I think no matter, even if he was a first-round pick to somebody like the Steelers, I think the anticipation would be he's not going to play this year. He's so raw. He has the physical components that make you say when the play breaks down, he could be able to provide something that others can't. I think he has a physical upside higher than Jalen Hurts. Um, I just don't think, you know, I think it helped that Jalen Hurts spent, you know, X amount of games, but I think it also helped that Hurts was in uh, systems like Oklahoma and things like that that were more pass-friendly than what Malik Willis was dealing with in Liberty. So I think the fact that he fell so far and the fact that he's in this situation, I think he's at least a year away, and I don't think there's, like, there's only a potential chance that if Ryan Tannehill fills this season, I still think because Willis was a third-round pick, they could still be in the quarterback market for next season, um, but beyond that, they have uh, Tannehill under contract for next season, and I think it may help Malik Willis that there's two seasons where he can kind of adjust to the NFL, but I also think he's a long shot to make it in the NFL at this point. So, you know, even if he had the first round capital, it would have been the fact that he would have been he's such a boomer bust player that I almost didn't hate a team taking him in the first round because if he fails, you can just simply move on. And, you know, you think about in situations like the Los Angeles Rams or whatever, if they had noticed that Jared Goff was worth moving on from earlier, they may have just been better off. And a lot of the times it's like, it doesn't even hurt to take a swing on the quarterback. As long as you can decide before you pay them, like they paid Jared Goff, if you could decide whether they're going to hit or fail, like Baker Mayfield, you could basically say, like, we had to say, we had to draw the line in the sand, whatever you want to say about Deshaun Watson, they had to draw the line in the sand and say, no, we cannot keep paying Baker Mayfield because we can't sink, like, it's a sunk cost fallacy. We just can't keep going down this road. We have to admit our defeat and move on to the next one because we can compete a lot sooner than people realize in that scenario. So it's the same with Malik Willis that he's either going to fail or hit. And that's where I kind of said I would probably prefer him over Kenny Pickett because if Kenny Pickett becomes that in that Jared Goff range, where if, if four years down the line you're debating extending him, that's not good. You want to know whether he's 
worth investing into or not. And so I think even if Malik Willis is a complete bust and they move on and find, you know, another quarterback, it's still, especially in the third round, it's still a shot worth taking. And that's where I think like the Ryan Tannehill, he really isn't looking over his shoulder and it really isn't his job to mentor him. Sure, Malik Willis can pick up some things, but the reality is it's going to be Ryan Tannehill's job. And the question with him is, um, whether you want to buy into him in fantasy, I think some people are scared off due to the Malik Willis. I'm not scared off because of that. I just don't take him as much because when, when you look at the weapons, but the one thing really going in his favor is that he has had uh, seven rushing touchdowns, 14 rushing touchdowns in the last two seasons, so seven per season, and he had four in the season where he started 10 games, so he has... Uh, what is it, uh, 18 rushing touchdowns in nearly three seasons with the Tennessee Titans, and that's really valuable in fantasy, and it goes underrated with what he brings to this offense, and it, a lot of it has to do with when the attention goes to Derrick Henry and when he can roll out on play action, potentially naked and things like that. He's uh, athletic enough that he can finish off touchdown runs, so I don't hate him in fantasy. I think he's, he's in a situation where in managed leagues, when you can drop and play the waiver wire for quarterbacks, he's a much more enticing quarterback than in best ball leagues where you have to have, you know, you have to have somebody who gets you seriously high upside, and I think that Tannehill's rushing value creates floors more than it creates ceilings, where I think it was in 2020 because he had the receiving talent that it was creating ceilings. And the other thing going against Ryan Tannehill as we get into it is obviously the running back situation and the fact that Derrick Henry uh, only played, what, eight games last season and had over 200 touches, you know, had nearly 1,000 yards and nearly 10 touchdowns. And um, there's really two sides to it, to the fact that you could bet on the fact that if he's healthy and based on what you've seen the last three seasons, he's going to be the number one running back in fantasy. You could also say that based on the two seasons prior, the injury coming in the third season was almost anticipated and he was running so hot that it was, you know, it was bound to happen at some point. And now you say he's 27 with, uh, you know, what, 1,400 plus touches and he's probably going to, you know, start to fall, fall down the cliff here because that's typically what would happen in running backs. And you say that, even with Henry, you don't see 300 touch seasons followed up by a strong season, and he followed it up by over 300 touches and a better season. And then, like I said, got 200 touches in 10 games. Nobody's had the three-year workload that he's had, even considering he got injured. Nobody's had that workload. So now you put him into the fourth season a year older. Um, that's where I don't really buy into Derrick Henry. I've talked about it um, in previous years that you can win going against Derrick Henry in fantasy football before, and there's other paths to doing it, and there's too much of a risk in my opinion, especially when you add in that he doesn't catch the passes. And a lot of these runs do have to be longer because, like I said, Tannehill can be a threat near the goal line. <clears throat> and uh, when you look at some of his backups, it is, you know, similarly to last season when Henry went down, people rushed to Foreman. Dante Foreman was okay at times, but really there wasn't enough out of this backfield to trust anyone beyond Derrick Henry. And, you know, Hassan Haskins, they drafted in the fourth round, a player that I compared to Benny Snell and a player who went in the similar fourth round. And, you know, a player who I could see the Tennessee Titans thinking, you know, we're this power team. We want to punch teams in the mouth. We want somebody like Haskins who plays that physical brand of football. I could also see that, you know, the thing with Derrick Henry is that it's not just power. It's when he gets going. He's one of the fastest players in the NFL. So it creates that momentum that really nobody else, Hassan Haskins, cannot recreate. So that's where I tend to look at uh, UDFA. Julius Chestnut, 
even Dontrell Hill, Hilliard, but I think Chestnut may be uh, one of the players that you know you don't even have to draft in some leagues or in best ball leagues. Maybe you take in the 20th round just because you're looking for something. And one of the other questions is going to be the offensive line. I think for the most part, you can trust Taylor Luan. He was injured in 2020, came back in 2021. He's obviously going, he's a bit older. I think this is going to be his eighth NFL season, but still because he was able to come back from that injury in 2021, pretty much play consistent brand of football. I think you can trust him. And then you move into uh, Nate Davis at right guard. I think they're going to re-sign him at some point. He's a young up-and-coming player. Um, but then I think some questions in terms of they re-signed Ben Jones to a pretty team-friendly deal, in my opinion. I think one of the things is that uh, Ben Jones is really talented, um, and he's been with the t uh, since the, he was with the Texans, and he went to the Titans for years, and he's really helped. Uh, I think he's been here for every run of that uh, Derrick Henry run, so he's been a, a key cog to igniting this run game. I think he's like 34 years old now, though, and like I said, they kind of let him test the market, and I don't think he got a lot of bites, and he came back to Tennessee for you know potentially a year to kind of finish his career, and then they may be looking for something else. So there's some questions there. There's big questions at both right tackle and left guard. Um, right tackle, it's expected to be Dylan Radons. He's a player from North Dakota State, barely played in his rookie season. He's now entering year two. He has athletic upside. He didn't play during the pandemic season because they were such a small team in year one um, or in his last season at North Dakota State, and then he doesn't play in year one. So it's really been since 2019 since he's been any sort of you know anything on in, on a field. And even then, you were you know saying he needs to put on a little bit of weight. He showed at the Senior Bowl that he looked stronger, but even then, you know missing that whole season. So there's big questions with him there. They drafted Nick Nick Petit Friere from Ohio State. He's heavy footed though. I think Dylan Radons is much more athletic. I think it's going to be a camp competition because. Um, Radons has shown nothing, but I don't think Petit Friere, I think he needs to just lose, um, I think he doesn't need to lose weight, but he needs to lose fat and put on muscle in some regards, you know, just get quicker. So um, I don't think they have a good situation at right guard, and I think their left guard situation is probably the worst in the NFL, going from, you know, a key cog like Roger Saffold, you talk about Ben Jones ignited the last three years from Derrick Henry, Roger Saffold, another big name who ignited the last three years from Derrick Henry, now he's gone, I think he's up in Buffalo, and they're going to go with Aaron Brewer and Jamarco Jones, um, you know, uh, Saffold was getting older and things like that, but Aaron Brewer and Jamarco Jones, they really have nothing there. There was talk that they may put Radons there at left guard and put Petit Friere at tackle, but they've said that it's going to be a Jamarco Jones versus Brewer. It's going to be Radons versus Petit Friere. Either way, in my opinion, I say you got two out of five you know, issues. And when you add in the Ben Jones's age, you say that, yeah, Nate Jones or Nate Davis and Taylor Luan are great pieces. And they've been a part of this run game for the past three seasons. But I think this run game is going to start hitting, you know, I think there's a peak here. You know, they kind of hit their peak last season where, you know, Henry's getting older, the line's starting to lose pieces. Ryan Tannehill's kind of at that crossroads. And now you start to go to the wide receiver room where they start to lose body. With obviously the trade of Traylon or AJ Brown, essentially for Traylon Burks, you know they got the first round pick out of AJ Brown and helped um, kind of make that happen. But still, a lot of people think, you know, hey, one for one swap, you move out AJ Brown, who's you know 
a physical nature on these screens, yards after the catch, everything like that. You add in Traylon Burks, who, you know, one of his biggest issues, one of the reasons he kind of fell out of that top 12 range, some of the receivers went ahead of him, is because he doesn't run routes, because they said there were questions with him in the receiver meeting rooms and what he's able to do and things like that. So you say, okay, in Tennessee, um, but the issue is that A.J. Brown ran crisp routes when he was needed to. Yes, they used him on screen plays. Yes, they used him on quick hitters. But yes, he was able to separate quickly on slants and on in routes. And he was able to take those for big time yards after the catch. And you're saying, I don't think Traylon Burks is going to be able to do that. Traylon Burks is missing time with asthma. I think the Tennessee Titans must have known about that before they drafted him. That's honestly something that I didn't know about until OTAs that he was suffering asthma. You know, maybe because of the heat, maybe as things get, you know, cooler I don't know but you know he's already missing OTA times with asthma he's not a refined route runner like AJ Brown so he's only going to be like you know he's only going to take half of what AJ Brown does for the most part you look at Robert Woods and you say um he brings a lot of what they really want in terms of a, a physical blocker a presence he can bring those in cutting routes uh, slant routes, in routes, things like that. So you use Burks on the screen to use him as, you know, similarly to how they kind of s split up Corey Davis, who was a pretty good blocker, and maybe he was able to, you know, use some of those in routes and things like that. With Robert Woods, the issue is Robert Woods tore his ACL in November. Um, and, you know, this is something the Tennessee Titans have done for a while now, it seems like, especially in the NFL draft, you know, drafting guys like Jeffrey Simmons and uh, Caleb Farley, um, signing a guy like Bud Dupree off of an ACL, um, you know, in some situations, I think Jeffrey Simmons was a smashing hit, but Dupree, not necessarily yet. Um, Caleb Farley hasn't been a hit at all yet. You know, so it's like it hasn't been, you know, you can't just point to, oh, well, Jeffrey Simmons, what a great idea. Let's just keep betting on injured players. Um, they've done that before. I don't know, you know, when's Robert Woods going to be back? He's coming back from an ACL. I think a lot of people um, I've talked about it that you point to Adrian Peterson and you say, oh, ACL, he'll be just fine. But even Saquon Barkley. And yes, you could say that. Um, you know, Barkley also had an MCL mixed in with that, and Barkley also uh, sprained his ankle while recovering, basically, um, and while he was getting back to full strength. But a lot of players, uh, David Bakhtiari, I know he's an offensive tackle, but it takes more than a year sometimes to get back from an ACL. Sometimes it does take eight to nine months. But I, I just think betting on Robert Woods at his age in this situation is risky, especially when you look down the depth chart and you say, okay, Traylon Burks is a rookie. Robert Woods has an ACL. What if those guys miss? <laughs> you know, or what if, you know, Burks is really struggling out of the gates? And like I said with Robert Woods, you know, he's on the pup or He's missing the first three weeks. You got Nick Westbrook Aquina, um, who, you know, was kind of their third receiver last year. You got Kyle Phillips, who you drafted in the fifth round. You got Des Fitzpatrick, who you basically cut as a fourth round pick last season. And that's basically all you got. And then you look at this team and you say, they got to the one seed. Yes, they did. They had a run with Derrick Henry and things of that nature. But this is a team that lost to the New York Jets when they didn't have A.J. Brown last season. You know, so you could say what you want, but when when A.J. Brown was healthy, they were winning. When he wasn't, they weren't winning nearly as much. So, and when you look at these this receiver group, you're saying they're going to take a huge step backwards. It's hard to take Traylon Burks, especially where he's going right now. Um, he's starting to slip because of some of this asthma stuff, and that's actually starting to make him more affordable. But there's still serious questions with what he can bring. It's hard to take Robert Woods because you think he might miss six or seven games. Kyle Phillips is actually... A slot receiver from UCLA, profile similar to Danny Amendola. I wouldn't mind, you know, because especially because, you know, you don't, what are you going to do? Take Nick Westbrook Aquina, you know, a UDFA who's been, you know, like I said, holding, you know, when he was the number one against the Jets, it was a disaster. So you look, this offensive line's taking a step back. The receiving core potentially could be 
you know, absolutely nothing of what it was in past seasons. They had Austin Hooper, who, um, you know, all of a sudden you start to look and say, man, if none of these receivers fire, he could potentially be a value in fantasy football and things of that nature. But because this offense plays so slow, because they play so run-oriented, because it's easy to blame everything on Baker Mayfield last season, but um, you could still say, you know, Hooper's age and production is starting to fall off and things of that nature. And then uh, Chig Okwanko is a player who really profiles similarly to Johnny Smith, but I think if you look at Johnny Smith's stats, it took a couple seasons, especially because he's a move tight end, and I think they're going to use him in that nature. And that's the other factor that I uh, almost forgot about. We typically talk about the coaches. Todd Downing, you could say that... Um, the Titans had a better record from 2020 to 2021, obviously, but you could say that the offensive line took a step back, whereas, or the offense in general took a step back, whereas the defense took a huge step forward. And then, like I said, when you factor in the schedule of getting the Jaguars of a disaster, getting the Texans, even losing to, like I said, the Jets, um, some of that comes down to Arthur Smith leaving, going to the Atlanta Falcons, Todd Downing coming in. Being, I wouldn't say unproven. I would say that he's failed in his other, you know, stints as an offensive coordinator. And I don't think you saw anything from last season that said, you know, oh wow, the Titans are going in a great direction, or oh wow, when they lose a superstar like AJ Brown, they can just plop in rookie Traylon Burks, who yeah, we kind of like Traylon Burks, but I don't think you can just plop him in, you know, especially with no other, you know, without Robert Woods being a threat, with rookie Kyle Phillips probably being the third receiver in three receiver sets. I don't think you can look at that and say, oh, we'll just trust Todd Downing, this will be fine. So I think you look at this offense and you say, you know. There's a serious chance that it could be one of the worst, and it could be setting up for a really bad situation with Ryan Tannehill and his contract this offseason, similarly to a lot of these other situations. And that's where, like I said, hope is not all dead for Malik Willis, but I think that also, at the same time, they could completely veer any which direction here because then all of a sudden it could be moving on from Henry and we could be seeing a real soft rebuild. But I think as we get into their defense, I think they're going to say, no, actually our defense is going to be what's going to keep us in these games. And if Derrick Henry's healthy and if, you know, these two offensive linemen, we drafted Radon's pretty high. If they just step in, then we're going to be right back where we were. So we'll see about that, but it really comes down to their defense. And it's going to start with their defensive line, which could be one of the better in the NFL. And it's going to be led by Jeffrey Simmons, who's really stepped into that kind of, you know, being an elite pass rusher and things of that nature. And you look at um, in that draft, I know he tore his ACL. He had off of the field questions dating back to high school. But, um, you know, Quinnen Williams, uh, Christian Wilkins, Dexter Lawrence, um, and then him, you know, he's obviously the best one there. And I think that you could say that there's kind of, you know, obviously Aaron Donald. And then I think there's the established guys like Cam Hayward and Chris Jones and things of that nature. But when you say that the passing of the guard or kind of the young buck coming up and taking that throne, it's going to be Jeffrey Simmons. And, you know, he's he's one in a really great situation here. Um, I think they figured it out on defense between Mike Vrabel being more of the head coach and uh, Shane Bowen being more of the play caller. I think, but I mean, the reality is that um, just guys like Naquan Jones, um, guys like Tier Tart, uh, being able to just mix and match with him. And then obviously, Danico Autry is another player who they signed from the Indianapolis Colts. They liked his inside-outside versatility. They really liked the fact that he can 
he's so versatile that they'd start to move Jeffrey Simmons up and down the line, and they get Jeffrey Simmons just beating down on, you know, the, the weak left guard or the weak right guard or standing over the center if they need him to. And all of a sudden, Jeffrey Simmons is becoming a superstar. And then you got Harold Landry on the other side, you know. In, in nickel fronts, it would typically be Simmons and Autry. Autry would be sliding to the inside. They're coming NASCAR at you. And then um, Harold Landry, a speed rusher, a player with insane bend who can get around the edge. And then Bud Dupree is kind of a force multiplier in the fact that he just gives his body up and just throws his body into the wind to kind of um, to take up blockers and to free up lanes for other rushers and things of that nature. So um, Dupree coming off the ACL didn't have a great season last season, hoping that his next season back is going to be a lot better. And that's, like I said, another one where, you know, it didn't really help um, assigning a, a player who was injured last season. Um, Rashad Weaver, he had off the field issues last season. He was a rookie from Pitt. Seems like he's starting to um, could be in that rotational role. So I mean, yeah, when you look at guys like Tart and you look at um, yeah, you can move Autry up and down the line, and you look at that depth. This could be a unit that really gets after you, and this could be one of the better units. I think the health of Bud Dupree is gonna really be you know the key cog, but I think the ascension of Jeffrey Simmons and Harold Landry beyond that is even bigger. And then you look to their linebacker crew. They added Zach uh, Cunningham during the middle of last season. He hated being on the Texans in their losing franchise. Cunningham's kind of a boomer bust player. He makes some plays. He misses a lot of plays. Um, but I think he really found his home here, and they kind of upgraded from uh, Rashawn Evans, the kind of bust first-round pick from Alabama, to Zach Cunningham, and it really ignited their defense and propelled them to that number one seed. And it really let, uh, especially when these front four were flowing the way that they were, you could see Zach Cunningham's speed and athleticism. And when he didn't have that protection in Houston, you saw him start to really get exposed, you know, in other ways. And then David Long, similarly, he's a really good North and South player. He makes plays in the backfield. They're looking to extend him this offseason, but it'll be really interesting to see because he's a sixth round pick who's been injured at times. But you think, especially the speed um, component that Cunningham and Long bring, they can cover a lot of ground. Monty Rice, on the other hand, then he's kind of the enforcer in the middle. Um, so they have, you know, a pretty good linebacker core. And then you look into the secondary, Christian Fulton really didn't do much in terms of, you know, got injured a lot as a rookie, but really started to ascend as one of the better cornerbacks in the NFL last season. They put him on guys like DK Metcalf. They, you know, they made him follow receivers and he really ascended in that role. Um, like I said, Caleb Farley, it seems like, you know, they're hoping because of his athletic upside, because of his length, because of his skill set, that he could step into that cornerback spot aside from Christian Fulton and play well. Um, but they drafted Roger McCreary in the second round. They have Elijah Molden, who's in the slot. They have Chris Jackson, who um, used to be, when the Tennessee Titans defense was awful, Chris Jackson was arguably their number one slot or their number one cornerback, and now they have Fulton, McCreary, Farley, and Molden, uh, Fulton from 2020, Farley and Molden from 2021, and McCreary from 2022, add these four cornerbacks, and all of a sudden a guy like Chris Jackson, and you say, when he's the number one corner, it looks bad. When he's the number five corner, it actually looks pretty good in terms of their depth, and it helps that, you know, with a guy like uh, Caleb Farley, you could say that for the most part what you want to do is Fulton's your number one cornerback. McCreary is a player who slid to the second round because he doesn't have length. He doesn't have the speed. He's a, you know, a player, although his great tape against Alabama and things of that nature, he's from Auburn, played in the SEC, but um, you put him on sort of the smaller you know, types of cornerbacks, and then you put ath the athletic Marvel, Caleb Farley, on the bigger, you know, uh, more athletic wide receivers, and you can kind of mix and match and hopefully preserve some of Caleb Farley's health there. 
And then in the, in the secondary, Kevin Byard, you know, one of the best safeties in the NFL, and Amani Hooker really becoming um, versatile in his role and really playing off of Kevin Byard well. One of the best defenses in the NFL, and that's where it's hard for them, especially when you have a veteran like Tannehill, who um, I think we could look up Tannehill's stats, but I mean, uh, I think it was 7 and 3, and then 11 and 5, and then 12 and 5. So, I mean, what's that? 23 and 10 plus 7 and 3 is, you know, 30 and 15 uh, as the Tennessee Titans starter. You look at that and you say, as as much as he's choked in the past two playoffs and as much as he's at a crossroads and as much as we don't have these receivers, if we can run the ball and we can keep this defense in games, we can be competitive and we can still, the Texans aren't getting much better yet. The Jaguars are starting to, trying to. We're going to talk about them in a minute here, but uh, if you can pull off four wins there, um, I have them at 8.1 wins. I think I did eight projections so far, 8.1 wins. Uh, their season total is... Um, Nine, so I would lean under. Like I said, it's all due to the offense, and it's all due to, you know, if some of the cracks in that defense start to show, you know, injuries to Bud Dupree, um, Cunningham, and David Long are both kind of hit or miss players. Um, like I said, Fulton has some injury history. Farley has some injury history if that's secondary. I'm not a fan of McCreary. I can understand why they took him because his tape in the SEC, but like I said, his, his uh, traits and things of that nature don't fit. So, you know, all of a sudden their defense is top 10 or, you know, 10th instead of top five, you know, that's where all of a sudden you could see them, you know, falling apart this season and really hitting the rebuild button. So it'll be really interesting. They're at a crossroads and that's where I have them leaning under more than I'm, I'm anticipating um, excitement for the Titans. And now to the Indianapolis Colts here. Um, they finished second. Um, a lot of people thought, you know, that playoff game on the line with Carson Wentz losing to the Jacksonville Jaguars in Jacksonville as the Jaguars fans wore clown uh, costumes because they hated how bad their team was. Uh, just an embarrassing situation. Their owner comes out and posts videos all over Twitter about how much he hates Carson Wentz, even though Frank Reich and him are, you know, church buddies, even though those two have gone to battle together. Seems like Wentz, you know, wore out his welcome beyond uh, uh, Frank Reich. And Jim, when Jim Ursay wants him out, he goes out. And really, the Colts got lucky here because Ursay, you know, played their cards. They didn't have any cards because Ursay played them. So they, you know, get rid of him and they don't have a quarterback. And they're just waiting and waiting and they're screwed. And then all of a sudden, Deshaun Watson gets free. The Atlanta Falcons go after Watson. Matt Ryan gets offended by that, says, yeah, I'm not playing for you losers anymore. And the Falcons do right by him because he's been such a franchise legend that they trade him to the Indianapolis Colts for a pretty decent cost. And the Colts are sitting there like, man, we were really screwed there for just a couple minutes. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden you look at it and say that since Andrew Luck retired on um, the Jacoby Brissett season, they start 6-2. and two. He sprains his MCL and they fall apart. They get Phillip Rivers. They go to the playoffs. They lose to the Bills and a really entertaining game where Rivers, you know, let it all out there, had a great last game of his career. And then they go into the Carson Wentz season where you can just see the difference between a professional like Rivers gets into the playoffs and Wentz can't get into the playoffs. Now you go right back to the professional route in Matt Ryan. I think you could argue Matt Ryan, where he is coming off of his last season, is in a better physical condition than where Phillip Rivers was when he was coming off of his last season with the L.A. Chargers. And, um, you know, one thing with Ryan, it seems like, especially the last three seasons, it takes two or three games, and you wonder if he's watching, you wonder if he's watching, and then he really starts to turn it on, and then you start to question, you know, is it just the pieces around him that are really kind of hurting him? And that's another thing that you go back and say that 
Yes, I think Matt Ryan at this point in his career, because some of those, you know, if you really watch, I'd say like week 6 to 11, Matt Ryan of last season, I think you'd be really impressed by what he does. And you say, man, if you put week 6 through 11, Matt Ryan, if you just protect him and put him behind a run game, yeah, the Colts are going to make the playoffs and, you know, potentially be Super Bowl contenders, as crazy as it sounds. Um, but the thing is, you say that, you know, I think that the pieces were better for, uh, what's his name, for Phillip Rivers, unfortunately, they were better for him in Indianapolis. And because of the Carson Wentz season, some of the pieces started to fall apart as we're going to get to. And I think, I guess, it's easiest to start with the offensive line here because um, Anthony Costanzo was there for Phillip Rivers. He wasn't there for Carson Wentz. You saw some of the impact there. And now this season, fortunately for them, between Matt Pryor and they draft Bernard Raymond in the third round, which was a great pick. Um, if they could get Bernard Raymond to start at left tackle, it would be huge. The reason Raymond fell is he's about 24 years old. Um, he came from Austria. He has only played three or four seasons of football. He played tight end at Central Michigan, but then moved to tackle for a couple seasons. Had some really good tape at left tackle. Um, I thought his upside and I thought his potential was better than Trevor Penning, who went in the first round. The big issue for Raymond, beyond all these things, is his arm length is a lot shorter than Trevor Penning. And that dings him for a lot of people. Could potentially have the Colts get in a deal here but the real thing is that um and you know they went with Eric Fisher last season which was arguably a disaster coming off of the ACL and I still don't think he signed because of coming off that Achilles I'm sorry not the ACL either way between Pryor and Raymond you think it's a slight upgrade but if they could get a big upgrade in Raymond the issue is that if Raymond starts becoming, you know, if the length becomes an issue and if the jump up in competition becomes an issue and Matt Ryan starts getting under attack, then you start seriously having some questions. And, um, you know, the other issue for Carson Wentz was that, you know, Quentin Nelson had some foot issues. Um, he wasn't COVID vaccinated. He missed some time. Carson Wentz could never get that camaraderie in the interior offensive line, but Nelson should be fully back. COVID's not an issue anymore. Ryan Kelly has been injured as well. Um, he's starting to get a little bit older. Um, you're starting to wonder, you know, like I said, you know, you kind of wish that you saw Ryan with this crew a couple years ago, but still, if Kelly could stay healthy, but the big issue is the right guard. They had Mark Lewinsky. I believe he signed with the New York Giants now. So they're going to, Danny Pinter, a fifth round pick who's never really proven himself. The Colts are pretty optimistic in him. I'm not sure. And Braden Smith, who they just extended a couple, uh, I think a season or so ago, he just saw some injury issues last season as well. So it is, a, you know, it's a crew that when it was uh, Costanzo at left tackle and Nelson and Kelly were healthy and Glowinski and Braden Smith were in their primes, it was a great offensive line. And now Glowinski's gone. Braden Smith is starting to, you know, kind of hit that peak and they still don't have a left tackle solution, although they hope it's Raymond. And there is a story you tell where, you know, because Nelson doesn't have his issues, because Kelly can be on the same page, they really just have that right tackle question because if Bernard Raymond steps into left tackle, they could be really, um, really good here. It is just a slight downgrade to that offensive line that Phillip Rivers had when they were doing everything on people. And the real question is going to be that right guard, Danny Pinter to Mark Lewinsky drop-off. Because Jonathan Taylor, you know, should still be the best running back in the NFL. And the thing is, you know, he's got the power, he's got the speed, he's got the burst. And that's that's the big thing is that with this offensive line, he can break the big ones. That, you know, and that's the issue that, you know, Najee Harris is never going to be able to break He's never going to have that high ceiling because he'll never be able to explode. And Jonathan Taylor doesn't just – when he gets 20 yards, he's probably getting 60 yards because he's that fast. He can he can t beat those angles of those safeties and things of that nature. And that's why he's the number one fantasy running back, especially because with Matt Ryan, Matt Ryan is going to um, – 
he could control the pace and things like that. And those are the small things that Carson Wentz just wasn't good at. And, you know, you don't think about it until, you know, you're, you know, inches away because you lost to the Jaguars or, you know, you lost a game here, you lost a game there. And you look back to these little moments and things like, you know, like I said, controlling the pace and taking the play clock down and letting the defense declare before you decide things based off of your cadences and things like that, that Matt Ryan does that will improve the running game, arguably. So Jonathan Taylor's the number one guy. He keeps talking about Naheem Hines as if it's something that he's never really had. And it's arguably true that, that player that you could motion out of the backfield into the slot and do things of that nature, run wheel routes. I think he really likes uh, seeing Naheem Hines for that. So some people think it's going to take away from Taylor. I think it's going to take away from, you know, the receiving and tight end crew that, you know, potentially would be there, especially due to the fact that they want to preserve Matt Ryan. They want to see if they can get Matt Ryan for a couple of seasons. They don't want to keep doing this every single year. They're changing off quarterbacks and things like that. So they want to run the football heavily. Like I said, slow the pace down. They believe their defense is getting better here. So they're trying to do things of that nature. So Jonathan Taylor, in my opinion, will still be the bell cow guy, the goal line guy, the guy that can break 60-yard touchdowns like it's nothing to save your bad day in one play. Um, things of that nature, so it's hard to get too far away from him. And then the other thing that, like I said, okay, Naheem Hines takes away from the receivers. The tight ends are going to take away from the receivers because they just drafted Jelani Woods. They have Mo Cox. Those two are a basketball team. You know, those two are 6'5", 200-something. you got two Draymond Greens, basically. You know, two power forwards with long arms and things like that that could go over the middle of the field. Um, but the reality is that both of them are going to be Moel, the Jelani Woods. People thought that because he was so athletic, that he's such a great, you know. Uh, oh, he's the next Julius Thomas. He's a blocker more than anything, and what he's going to do is open up the slot and things of that nature in the seams for Mo Ali Cox. So Mo Ali Cox will be running deep down the seams. Jelani Woods will be blocking, but Mo Ali Cox has earned his burn because he's a blocker. So they're going to put two tight ends on the field, two mammoth tight ends on the field, and Mo Ali Cox and what's his name, Jelani Woods, the rookie. And they're going to run heavy at you. You know, they're going to run like crazy at you. And they're going to put Granson, who's basically a fullback, and they're going to run and run and run and play slow and keep things to a halt because they know that, like I said, Tennessee's taking a step back offensively. The Jags aren't there yet. The Texans aren't there yet. They they think a trip to the playoffs is easy, and once you get to the playoffs, if you can run and control the clock, and you have a guy like Matt Ryan who can make the third down completions, then any the, the sky's the limit, and this is where this team has it. So, um, you get into the receivers, and arguably the biggest question on the team is: Is Michael Pittman going to step up this season? Um, he started to show it with Carson Wentz, the ability to win the ball in the air. He also was a great route runner, ar arguably, um, and pretty good, especially to the sidelines and being able to get that step deep down the field. And you think Matt Ryan is known, especially you don't compare him to Julio Jones, but Matt Ryan knows how to give the ball winners the ball down the sidelines, running those out routes and things like that. And that's typically where Michael Pittman's going to go. So I typically, I think it's Mike Williams and Keenan Allen are like right in a tier above Mike Pittman. But you take Mike Pittman right there and you say, you know, if those two are gone, he's typically the next best thing there because you, especially in terms of the passing offense, like I said, Allie Cox will be a seam splitter here and there. Uh, Jelani Woods is not going to do much in the passing game. Naheem Hines is going to be that player in the passing game, you know, uh, on wheel routes and things like that. But the, the true alpha that they're going to go to consistently in the passing game is obviously Michael Pittman here because Alec Pierce, they drafted him from Cincinnati. He's, I compared him similarly to DJ Chark, you know, um, a vertical player, a player who also can win in the air, but a player that can typically stretch the field and win for, uh, let, 
spacing win for other players. Similarly to Paris Campbell, Paris Campbell is a player who can't stay healthy, so it's hard to bet on him, but especially at his draft cost because he hasn't been able to stay healthy, that him in the slot, those quick short passes, um, they can get creative with him. Every time he's on the field, he's extremely productive. Um, he just is never on the football field. So you can you say that you know with Pittman on the outside, with Pierce in the Z, you know clearing space, with Paris Campbell in the slot underneath, and you space out Naheem Hines, and you can run the football. Like I said, I mean you're going to basically run too wide and let uh, Pierce be a blocker and Pittman be a blocker because they're big bodies. And you also have um, Ashton Doolin who can block, Michael Strachan who can block. You know it, they're going to be extremely run heavy. That's where this whole thing runs around Jonathan Taylor, who should for a second straight season be the number one running back in all this and like I said if any of it comes down it's probably the offensive line but this is a team that's committed to it and yeah you don't I don't draft Pierce whatsoever in fantasy because he's a field splitter and I don't think Matt Ryan is going to go to him nearly enough and I think that if you want to go to the deep ball it's going to be Mo Alley Cox getting open down the middle of the field and it'll be Pierce taking the attention away so I see nothing that makes Pierce even that exciting, and he got drafted over a couple guys, and the Colts aren't good at drafting receivers to where, you know, like if George Pickens is here, I'm saying George Pickens is better than Michael Pittman. Alec Pierce, I don't think he's better than, you know, Michael Pittman. So, um, but yeah, that's where we stand on the offense. I like Hines and Jonathan Taylor, both at cost. I think Mo Cox, if, you know, gets low enough. Paris Campbell, um, typically, and then after the Chargers, you could be okay with Pittman. Move to their defense. Um, I like Nat Eberflus as a defensive coordinator. I didn't think he was really anything special, and I'm surprised that the Chicago— Well, when you look to the backstory, you're not surprised that he's the Chicago Bears head coach because of all the ties to the search form that the Bears uh, used to— You know, that's how its coaches get hired in the NFL. Um, but either way, Gus Bradley— um, is coming from he's typically been a Seattle Seahawks tree from the Pete Carroll days, typically runs his cover three. I mean when you think about it, Eberflus, the thing that you know, I like Eberflus because he's, you know, um he's a motivator. He can typically get the best out of players. He really utilized Darius Leonard in a great way. But he runs, you know, zone and he doesn't mix it up a lot. And Gus Bradley runs zone and doesn't mix it up a lot. So you don't think there's like this huge miss miss massive talent or anything and neither of them blitz whatsoever and you know they're not neither of them are gonna blitz here. And you look at um arguably the defense could take a step forward here despite the fact that they lost their defensive coordinator to the head coaching range because you know you didn't think that was even gonna happen and you see them bringing in Gus Bradley and you think that's a lateral move if anything Gus Bradley was a former head coach anyways Quiddy Pay during his rookie season 39 pressures it was the same as you know guys like Jalen Phillips um so he's really he hit the bar in my opinion for pass rushers and I think he could potentially be in for a big season um in Michigan he wasn't used the way that they used him here and they're going to even he was used closer to the football and they're going to spread him even further out wide like a Cliff Averill in the Seattle defense here and I think it's going to lead to even more production for him and they're going to do the same thing with Yannick Ngakwe who doesn't defend the run very well but um when you start to look at the uh Colts here you say Deo uh tore his ACL last season or uh, Achilles, and really uh, started to come back in his rookie season. They drafted him, they thought, at a discount because he tore his Achilles. He can defend the run. He doesn't have the juice yet to get upfield. But I, I fed you a Dangbo, uh, another player, similar name, but uh, he can defend the run. And then Taekwon Lewis is an inside-outside guy. He can defend the run. So you put them on the field early. Quiddy Pay, one thing he absolutely can do is defend the run. So Ngakwe becomes a third-down speed rusher on this defense. And uh, really, they have the best run stuffer there is in the NFL and Grover Stewart um, as their nose tackle when you go to the interior here. And on um, DeForest Buckner, you know, really coming off of – 
you know, all pro defensive player of the year, almost type season. You think if he can have, you know, when you look at their four man rush here, uh, Grover Stewart, DeForest Buckner in the middle with Eric Johnson and Curtis Brooks, two rookies um, behind them, Quiddy Payne and Gakwe off the edges with Deo and Taekwon Lewis as their depth. You know, the thing that Gus Bradley had in Seattle was able to get eight, you know, and consistently rush him after you and things of that nature. Um, he has it here, you know, he has arguably, you know, as good of an eight as you could possibly have. And then you look back, you say Darius Leonard and Bobby Okariki. Um, Okariki really stepped up last season with Anthony Walker leaving. Um, you didn't see a drop-off from Darius Leonard whatsoever. Uh, you see that they have even Zaire Franklin still staying here. They drafted JoJo, or they have JoJo Doman as his UDFA. Don't, you know, love him too much, but EJ Speed, a special teams player there. You look at this defense and you say, okay, this front, you know, you really like what Okariki's doing. This front can really bring it. Stephon Gilmore, once they traded him, the Patriots, the Panthers, he was excellent last season. You know, it was hard to put any blame on him whatsoever last season. So you put him in the zone scheme. He's typically been a man cornerback. Makes you wonder if maybe Gus Bradley saw what Dan Quinn was doing in Dallas, and Dan Quinn's been a zone guy who, you know, still ran zone, but mixed up at least his looks and things like that for Dallas last season. Maybe he starts to mix things up. They're talking like Isaiah Rogers is, you know, some superstar in the making, and he's going to be their stud on the outside. And then with Kenny Moore in the nickel, I know he's holding out right now for a new contract, but either way, he'll, he's going to play this season. You put Gilmore and Isaiah Rogers on the outside, Kenny Moore in the slot. Um, you really like what they're doing. And then, you know, they uh, it seemed like they anticipated the loss of Kari Willis by drafting Nick Cross in the third round. They signed Rodney McLeod. They have Julian Blackman, who's coming back from injury and should be healthy. But you think, you know, Nick Cross is one of the few 20-year-olds to enter the NFL draft this season. Um, it takes guts to do that when, you know, a bunch of 25-year-olds, you know, getting an extra year due to COVID and things like that are in the draft and um, really like his athletic upside and think he could step into a starting role next to Julian Blackman. And they have a duo there. When you add in the depth of McLeod, you say, yeah, this defense, um, there's no reason that the Colts shouldn't win the division. They should have won it with Carson Wentz. The only thing holding them back was Carson Wentz and a veteran leader at quarterback. And when you add in a quarterback like Matt Ryan to, you know, yeah, this offensive line's taking a step back. And that's why, you know, if this offensive line was as complete as it was, and if they had a slightly better receiver core, I'd probably pick them to win the Super Bowl or something like that. At this point, I think they can just win the AFC South. I think I have them at 10.7 wins. Um, right now I have them at, uh, oh, 11.5 wins. So, um, I really, yeah, I, I have them winning 11 games the majority of the time. So I have them going over their win total, bet them to win, bet the Colts to win the AFC South, bet them to win over their win total. And, um, you know, obviously Jonathan Taylor is going to go first overall. On to the Houston Texans and they're obviously in an interesting situation and an interesting from where the perception of them was last season to where it is now, just from getting rid of Deshaun Watson, you know, arguably, it just seems like, you know, all of a sudden they're at least able to turn a page, you know, and you could say that um, last season, it's funny because everyone's complaining about their owner and everyone's complaining about Jack Easterby is meddling in their front office. And literally those two things did not change from last year to this year. And they're still because of the Deshaun Watson thing. And because, They've really changed and uh, asset-wise have changed. Uh, there's still at least a better perception of the two people that they blame for everything still being there, uh, but still the perceptions changed um, due to the fact that especially uh, – I think Nick Casario is obviously – I think he has to prove himself, but I think he's doing things that show that he's a pretty decent GM, and he's building himself. Obviously, the Watson trade helps, but he built himself up before that even enough assets to where he's kind of entering this draft felt like a start of the Nick Casario era. The last year felt like 
him cleaning up and taking a lot of the blame for things that everyone else did. And now this starts to feel like, you know, Derek Stingley feels like the start of the Nick Casario era, you know, and even, I don't think they're going to keep their head coach. <laughs> Lovey Smith, I think they hired him because I don't think that they were going to be able to hire a young white guy who uh, didn't have credentials uh, after they fired Black David Cully after Brian Flores sued the NFL. They waited too long <laughs> to hire a head coach. Uh, Brian Flores sued the NFL, and the NFL said, no, you're not hiring. You, Texans, the incompetent franchise, are not hiring a young white guy at this point. You are hiring your black Lovey Smith defensive coordinator, who you basically were just firing a couple <laughs> a couple weeks ago. You are rehiring him for one season, and then you're going to fire him. Because, I mean, the funniest thing is, I mean, we don't even talk about defense yet, but uh, when they draft Derek Stingley, you say, well, Derek Stingley, you know, compares to Stephon Gilmore. I think Nick Casario, a New England Patriots guy, says, you know, this is a, a franchise solidified player. This is how Bill won his Super Bowls. You know, Revis, Gilmore, when we get that island player and things like that, you know, the Patriots have done it in free agency, but this is, you know, the young kid, the superstar kid, my best player in the draft as well. Um, I think when he did that, I mean, Lovey Smith <laughs> runs Tampa 2, runs zone. Uh, his cornerbacks play the flats, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like he's never in his, I mean, Charles Tillman obviously had a great career with him, but that's, Charles Tillman is in a man cover corner. You've never looked at him as that. You look at him as a player who has a lot of forced fumbles because he tackles the football because he's up near the line of scrimmage. Stingley can do that for sure. But I mean, Stingley's a man. He is a follow. And even when Lovey Smith called him, he said, you know, you're going to follow guys. Lovey Smith's defense has never done that. The Patriots have ran defenses that did that. Uh, when the, they thought they were going to hire Jonathan Gannon's defense would do that. So obviously a Casario pick and not a Lovey Smith pick, they're not going to play the cover two defense that, you know, Lovey Smith has played literally every year of his entire coaching career. I mean, apparently based on, he said, Derek Stingley's going to play man and he's going to cover guys. So we're going to see about that. But, um, Either way, it's, like I said, at least there's some sort of, because Stingley and because there's some other young assets, uh, Casario was able to trade back in the first round for another pick. Um, there's at least enough here that you think if, if enough can get going this season, there's real momentum brewing into next season. Probably going to hire a new head coach, um, and then they're going to get going here. Davis Mills, a lot of people saying, you know, had one of the best rookie seasons out of any of them. I think he showed a lot of poise. I think the thing was that, you know, he could handle a pocket. And, you know, you could think that, you know, was he better than Kenny Pickett um, last season? And how much younger is he than Kenny? I think two years younger than him already. Or already he's going to be for the rest of his life. So, um, you know, he came in as a top recruit uh, from in, into Stanford and things like that. Took him a while to get on the field. But either way, I think he's really, like, stepped up and – I think he's not a player that um, – I don't think he's as good as Mac Jones. I think there's still the ceiling of the other guys is, you know, I don't think these teams are, like, cursing for taking him. But I do, I do think, like I said, you know, if he was in that draft, I think you could compare him similarly more to Kenny Pickett. And I think that, you know, I still don't think he has that upside of Derek Carr. I think he's a little bit below that tier of player. Maybe if everything broke right, he could be in that Cousins tier. I still – I think I need to see more to see him – in that level, but I think there's that sort of at least optimism, and I think it's smart that they went, they're going to give him this full season because if they screw up this season, I think that at least, you know, they're still, their roster's still in a situation where, you know, five or six wins would be a win for them this season. I think there's, especially with, like I said, the draft picks that they have, I think that they're a really good draft next year away from 
if Davis Mills is the guy, then they're going to start to compete with Davis Mills next season. I don't think it's going to be this season. So Davis Mills, not a player that really, you know, when you can stream him in fantasy, it's one thing. But, you know, another thought is that, you know, if they get to training camp and he does look like, you know, the second year it's not clicking together, he's not taking that second step, you're wondering if defenses will start to figure him out. He's not all that um, – he actually is decently mobile, but he's not all that mobile. And you say – um could they be a team that ends up trading for Jimmy Garoppolo with the New England ties and things like that? It's still not out of the question. That's where, you know, he's like the 30th quarterback in fantasy anyways. But you still, you, I'm happy for them to say that they've seen enough in his rookie season as a third-round pick to give him this season, even if they know they're not competing this season. And um, move to the running backs. They drafted Damian Pierce in the fourth round. I wasn't a fan of Damian Pierce whatsoever coming out of the draft. Wasn't surprised at all. A lot of people thought he was going to be a second or third round pick. I thought fourth round, fine for him, but I don't think he's going to step in. And the thing is that Marlon Mack tore his Achilles. Um, he got a little bit of burn for the Indianapolis Colts. They tried to showcase him for a trade. It didn't work out. Um, but now the Texans, you know, don't really have any reason not to use him as their kind of workhorse running back unless Damian Pierce beats him out. I just don't see Damian Pierce beating him out. I think Rex Burkhead will be in the mix here as well. So I think really when you have Pierce, the power guy, Mack, the overall guy, Burkhead, the pass catching guy, it's going to be gross enough to where you don't want any pieces of it because this offense isn't going to be nearly good enough. And um, you look at their offensive line, you say, Laramie Tunsil's obviously, you know, um, a prime player. Ken Kenyon Green is an interesting pick because he played tackle at Texas A&M. You thought, um, I don't think his feet were quick enough to play tackle in the NFL, but I think he's a really solid guard, has really good hand placement, really good um, overall footwork, it's just not foot quickness I don't think he has. So they're going to slot him into left guard. They traded back into the first round. Um, really, there was like a tier, and you could really see the tier break um, between, I think it was like Jordan Davis went ahead of him, and it's like a potential, you know, yes, Jordan Davis isn't a um, every down player or whatever, but like a one-of-a-kind one of a kind player versus now you just get a consistent starting guard. You know, there was a drop-off in the first round of this draft, and I talk about how the COVID year – uh, body year for a lot of seniors and a lot of seniors were in this draft so a lot of early declares decided not to declare early because it was such a heavy senior draft they looked bad as the younger players and it'll start to even out but this year was arguably the worst draft there was and that's why Kenyon Green being a top 20 pick is not something that you would scoff at this season, but it's also something that I don't think you typically would say, oh yeah, this is a guy with, you know, all pro upside because he went, you know, at this point in the draft or anything like that. So a reliable starter, a guy that they think that they can start, you know, day one and things like that. So between him and Tunsil on the left side, you say, okay, the Texans are actually, you know, you could start to see they're building something here and they're building blocks to where, like I said, with all the draft assets and all the equity they have next season. Yeah. Next season is where you start to say, okay, let's see what the Texans can do. Um, because then, you know, Justin Britt, a player who, you know, kind of failed at center for the Seattle Seahawks. Um, Titus Howard has been okay. I think he's been better at guard. They're going to move him back to right tackle because uh, they signed A.J. Can from the Jacksonville Jaguars. You know, a depth player. Um, Max Sharping's been an okay guard. They're okay on that right side. I think Titus Howard, especially coming into, you know, what is this, his fourth season now. I think, you know, they kind of have the bookends there. They have Kenyon Green in the middle. They need to figure out center and guard, um, their right guard with, I mean, like I said, Kansas kind of a placeholder there but you start to look overall and you say okay they're building enough of this that you know they can at least run the football they can at least protect davis mills with their bookends and things like that to where yeah they're they're at least now they're a competitive team whereas last season they were looked at as much more of a joke um 
You do look at their tight end room. I'm not impressed, really. Brevin Jordan, a player that, you know, some people compare to Johnny Smith. He fell to the fifth round because doesn't have athleticism, doesn't block, has short arms. You know, they're going to try and use him in the passing game, and they have nobody else that there's going to be excitement about him. But I'm almost more excited about Pharaoh Brown, um, you know, a guy who's bounced around the NFL and, you know, isn't anywhere really near being a complete tight end or anything like that. But that's where I, th I think Brevin Jordan's super overrated this off season. And, you know, yeah, I don't think there's much to speak about with their tight ends. Look to their receivers. At least there's something, you know, like I said, they're building something here, especially with their three men. Um, Brandon Cooks, they fielded trade offers and just thought it's better off to keep a guy like him with his veteran presence, with his ability to stretch the field, to give Davis Mills a number one receiver. So we, like I said, we can go into next offseason. And yeah, Cooks will probably be gone next offseason. We can actually see what we have in Brandon Cooks, or we can see what we have in Davis Mills because of Brandon Cooks. And Brandon Cooks can take the attention away from a guy like Nico Collins, who did enough as a third round pick in his rookie season to where you say, hey, entering year two, a big body, um, potentially could run at least enough routes, you know, towards the sidelines and things like that. He's not a really over the middle of the field type of player, but a big body who can make plays, you know, in the air, down the field, um, things like that in the red zone. You could potentially, with Cooks, you know, being a field stretcher, those two on the outside, you had John Mechie in the second round. I really didn't like him as a second round pick. Um, I compared him to Ryan Grant from Washington, you know, a, a nice slot receiver, you know, runs those quick routes over the middle of the field. Um, is consistent, you know, doesn't make the contested catches, but catches enough of the football to where, you know, you can move the sticks and things like that. And when you look at the fit in this offense, you say, okay, as a second round pick, I would have taken Sky more. I think he's a little more dynamic overall. Um, but as a slot receiver with Cooks as the speed guy, Nico as the big body, he becomes Davis Mills kind of, you know, safety valve. The issue is that he's coming off of an ACL, but this is where, like I said, I don't think the Texans are, you know, press for time here. I think they're okay with running the football, getting the most out of, I think their offensive line is arguably their best asset here with, you know, guys like Tunsil Howard and Green. And then, yeah, Dorsett and Chris Moore are some of the depth here, you know. you. But, I mean, you think that Mechie coming off the ACL isn't enough to buy into in fantasy. Nico Collins because he goes late enough and Cooks because, you know, you just look at his stats last season, it's going to be in a similar role. Davis Mills obviously trusts him. So there's enough in this offense to say, like I said, you see the vision, you see the fact that if, you know, Collins can hit and if Mechie can hit, and if they have at least three offensive linemen, they can go into next season, add a running back, add two offensive linemen, maybe add one more receiver, and that could be enough for if they trust Davis Mills as a quarterback there. But they, they're certainly still one more season away on uh, offense. You look to their defense and you say, um, really, for the most part, you know, at least they're, like I said, they're trying now. They're putting, they tore it down last season. They're building things back up. You can at least see a vision. You can at least see progress and momentum and things like that. With, um, start with the interior. Malik Collins is actually really good. Um, and they drafted um, Thomas Booker in the fifth round. So Ross Blacklock, a second round pick from the old regime, they seem really out on him. They have Roy Lopez. Um, a player that they drafted, you know, 2021. Uh, Thomas Booker, they signed in tw or drafted in 2022. Malik Collins, they signed in 2021. You know, Blacklock is kind of the fourth man out here as that old regime starts to transition. But yeah, Malik Collins and Thomas Booker, you know, you start to say, okay, now there's, we're at least building something. You know, they're, Malik Collins is pretty talented. It'd be really nice if you had, you know, a little bit better than Roy Lopez and Thomas Booker beside him. But either way, like, there's at least enough to be respectable here. Uh, you know, they signed Rasheen Green from Seattle. 
they have J Jonathan Grenard, who's you know one of the actual hits from the old regime, a 2020 draft pick. And then they signed Mario Addison, Jerry Hughes, you know two guys that were in that rotation from the Buffalo team last season. And you say with um, they signed Ogba from uh, the Rams, you know kind of more of a, a Sam type of player, if anything. But you say that you know the thing that Lovey does like to do is eight eight guys, you know, in rotation and things like that. So Nick Casario kind of eases his concern and says, okay, you let me draft Stingley. I'll sign two veterans in Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison after the draft, and you guys can rotate your eight defensive linemen and consistently get pressure after the quarterback. Drafted Christian Harris in the third round from Alabama. I thought he's fast. He can move downhill. I questioned his instincts a little bit. I think Christian Kirksey being a leader, being a player next to him would be valuable. Uh, the issue is that Kirksey gets injured far too much. Um, they do have guys like uh, Gruje Hill, who they extended, you know, could be another helpful leader behind Christian Harris. But like I said, just another thing where you're, you're at least seeing the progress here versus, you know, where it was just so washed last season. You're seeing the youth in Christian Harris. You're seeing the assets being used. And then the secondary is completely rebuilt. I'm impressed with the secondary in some regards. Obviously with Stingley, you don't think he's going to hit the ground running as a number one cornerback, but I mean, they're going to throw him to the Wolves immediately. And that's exciting because I think Stingley, you know, was great in his freshman season, had some injuries in, in his uh, COVID season and things like that. But if he's back and he showed, you know, ran 4-3, tested similarly to Stephon Gilmore at his pro day, if he can show that in the NFL, you have Steve Nelson on the other side has always been a perfect number two. Was really good last season for the Eagles in his role as a number two cornerback uh, and things like that. And then, um, you know, Tavier Thomas and Desmond King, two guys that started to play. Desmond King, a pretty good uh, second uh, slot cornerback. But Tavier Thomas started to show himself last season. And then Jalen Petrie, they drafted him in the second round. Uh, and Eric Murray, MJ Stewart, you know, some uh, depth guys and things like that for for safety. But Jalen Petrie, Derek Stingley, Steven Nelson, you say, all right, he's starting to put together some sort of secondary here. Um, I still think, you know, there's holes all over the place in terms of they don't have, you know, Grenard's a good pass rusher, Malik Collins a good pass rusher, Christian Harris is going to be exposed. Um, like I said, Eric Murray's not that great of a safety. Petrie and Stingley are rookies in the secondary. Um, they're relying on a big-time rookie, you know, at guard. They don't have depth in their wide receiver core. Um, so I got him at 4.4 wins. You know, it's not like I'm really going out to bat for the Houston Texans. I think that's right around their win total is 4.5, and, and I have him at 4.4. So there's really no play here, and or, you know, there's really no play whatsoever because I could see them winning that fifth game. But I, I think it's going to be four or five wins. But like I said, the momentum is building towards next season. There's at least more of a clean picture, and there's a, at least you can see what they're doing with this roster versus last season was a complete teardown. All right, last up is the Jacksonville Jaguars, and like we kind of said, their disgrace of a season last year. Everyone's blaming all of it on Urban Meyer. It's going to be interesting to see what exactly is Urban Meyer. Trent Baalke's still around. The ownership's still around. Trevor Lawrence, you know, you can't just say he was a robot who did everything Urban Meyer asked him to do. You have to say at some point, you know, some of the blame has to go on him. It looked like a lot of the time he was trying to do far too much, was trying to play hero ball. He created some big plays. He created a lot of failures. I think there's some questions with him that, you know, he really showed nothing as a rookie quarterback, whereas a lot of rookie quarterbacks struggle. Not a lot show absolutely nothing like he did, you know. And some of them you do say, okay, you can blame Jared Goff, you know, or um, Jared Goff, you can blame Jeff Fisher and say that once he got Sean McVay, you really started to see something. But like I said, 
they, they were better off recognizing that, wait a minute, actually Jared Goff isn't the guy, and we should just move on at, at this point because Sean McVay is actually covering for him. So how much of it is, oh, Doug, you know, Urban Meyer is really pulling this guy down. Doug Peterson will rise him back up. If he's so dependent on coaching, how good is the player is what you kind of have to get to at some point. Like I said, you can say his rookie season, this and that. Justin Fields had an awful rookie season and actually showed more than Trevor Lawrence. Bad coaching and all. You know, um, what's his name? Uh, the other guy. Crap, I forget his name. Showed more as a rookie than Trevor Lawrence. Zach Wilson was awful last season. Showed more than Trevor Lawrence last season. That's where you have to look at it and say, you know, what really do they have in Trevor Lawrence? Where is where is it going to be? And that's where I, I want to buy into it because I really like Doug Peterson. I really like this offense. But I said last season that, you know, I'll trust the people because I I didn't I looked at the tape and I didn't trust the tape. Or at least to the fact that people compared him to Andrew Luck. And I, I kind of have a soft spot in my heart for Andrew Luck because in college I was gambling on football a lot. And that's where I really saw Andrew Luck and he kind of launched me into this career in some ways. Or he helped me get into this career. Not, you know, he didn't himself. But me being able to spot his talent and see how good he was kind of helped me, you know, form where I am right now. So it's a... Andrew Luck is a high bar in terms of a college prospect. And while I liked what I saw from Trevor Lawrence, and you did see bits and glimpses, little glimpses, you almost saw that this Clemson offense protected him too much. And you wondered if he was being protected for a reason or not. And some of that I think you started to see when the play broke down that he actually, he has the ability to play that hero style and has the arm strength, but some of it wasn't as natural as you know you thought it would potentially be, as like like I said with Andrew Luck when the play broke down and things like that. So we're going to see in his second season, I think with Doug Peterson, it's obviously going to be a much better situation than it was um, in his first season. I just think the other question is, there's like a lot of like roster questions. Like I said, it comes back to Trent Bulky in that situation. You go to left tackle, you thought they were going to draft the left tackle first overall, and then they uh, franchise tagged... Uh, Cam Robinson. So I ended up, you know, first off, I bet on Aiden Hutchinson to go first overall. Then you remember the Jim Harbaugh thing. Ended up betting on Trayvon Walker to um, kind of hedge out of the Aiden thing. Ended up making a little bit of a profit because you knew they weren't going to take a tackle once they franchise tag Cam Robinson. And they have the understanding that they want to extend Cam Robinson. And beyond that, they drafted Walker Little last season. And Trent Baalke loves injured players. Um, and Walker Little was injured. And he loves the upside or the unknown of, you know, Walker Little was a high-end prospect. And then he got injured. So he fell into the draft. And Trent Baalke's just so enamored with that that he wants that. And that but the issue is, you know, Cam Robinson, second round pick, has shown bits and flashes. He's drafted in seven, 2017 and hasn't shown it yet. Um, Walker Little has shown absolutely nothing yet. Jawan Taylor on the other side, I think, is a player that, you know, they're hoping to re-sign or they, they don't know what they have yet. They went out and spent big money on Brandon Scherf. You trust that, but you think, you know, Scherf's an older player, some injuries starting to set in. And then, uh, you know, Tyler Shatley has been their backup center for a while now. He's stepping into the starter. Ben Barch, you have a hole at left guard, and they drafted Luke Fortner, who potentially could be that center because Shatley hasn't been able to stay healthy either, um, just like Lindor hasn't been able to stay healthy, and Lindor finally retired. So, I mean, you look at this offensive line, and you say it's completely overrated in terms of, you know, Cam Robinson is just a name. Um, Brandon Scherf signing in free agency and Juwan Taylor being a big name from the past. I mean, you hope it's good for Trevor Lawrence, but... I don't like the roster at all, really. And then you look at the running backs, James Robinson. I mean, he tore his Achilles last season in the you know the middle of the season. He's not going to be back until 
if they make the playoffs, and they're not going to make the playoffs. So I never draft James Robinson in fantasy. I do draft Travis Etienne because then you look around and you say, well, Travis Etienne's almost being drafted as if James Robinson is going to play this season, and he's not going to play this season. So all of a sudden the offense is going to have to run through him. He can catch passes, and he's familiar with Trevor Lawrence to where you know he had his Liz Frank injury last season. I'm not a fan of him between the tackles, and that's where you look at, say, Snoop Connor, the fifth-round pick, is probably going to get more uh, reps than you realize, and he's going to get more carries than you realize. And he's, you know, maybe if you want to take a shot on him in the 20th round if you buy into this offense. But that's where I keep coming back to. Like, this Jaguars team, okay, they brought in Doug Peterson. It's still a mess right now. And then you look at their tight end room, and, you know, everyone's buying Evan Ingram because uh, Doug Peterson used Zach Ertz in Dallas Goddard. And it's like, those two are good. Like, Zach Ertz was always good. Evan Ingram was never good. He's always dropped way too many footballs. He's a little bit older than you realize for um, – he was just a first-round pick four or five years ago. Um, you know, Dan Arnold isn't as good of a blocker. Chris Manhurts, you know, a blocker in some regards. So that's where I look at Doug Peterson and I'm saying he's not going to get much out of this tight end room. I can't buy into Evan Ingram when uh, Justin Herbert's tight end is Gerald Everett. You know, I'd much rather be interested in that at that draft cost. Even David Njoku, who's younger and, you know, you don't know who his quarterback is, but I would still trust that as a talent over Evan Ingram. At this point in his career, in this offense, and then you look at the receivers, um, Christian Kirk setting off the spiral of, you know, every receiver looking at Christian Kirk and saying, well, I'm better than that guy. You know, I'm going to get paid. And you think that, um, are they, you know, oh, they threw the money at him. So you have to, you know, buy into the fact that he's going to get used. Okay. He's going to get used, but the issue is he needs to be used as a slot receiver. They signed Zay Jones, who's typically been a slot receiver, and they have Marvin Jones, who's going to be on the outside. If they put Kirk and Marvin Jones on the outside and put Zay Jones as a slot receiver, it's going to be a disaster. If they put Christian Kirk on the, in the slot, at least he can stretch the field from the slot, and then they have Marvin Jones on the outside. I, I have no idea. The, the Christian Kirk deal was awful, but the Zay Jones deal was so much worse. It's like, how does he even fit into this offense? He doesn't. Because Laquan Treadwell is probably on the outside. Laquan Treadwell is better than him. In the slot, Christian Kirk's better than him. Marvin Jones is just straight up better than him. Why did you pay Zay Jones all this money? And then they have LaVisca Chenault, who, you know, they're talking about putting him in the running back room because James Robinson isn't a fit. And that's where, like I said, you know, everyone keeps saying the loss of Urban Meyer and the addition of Doug Peterson is such an upgrade for the Jaguars. And Trevor Lawrence will be just fine. And I'm like, they got a bad offensive line. They have no good skill players. They paid Christian Kirk like a number one skill player. ETN's coming back from a serious injury. This team's a disaster. You look at the Jags' defense. Um, Mike Caldwell is going to be calling the plays. Don't know too much about him. It'll be his first time calling plays. He was a defensive assistant back with the Eagles back when Andy Reid was there and then stuck around for a little bit and then bounced around to uh, the Cardinals when Bruce Arians was there and then followed Bruce to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers where he spent the last three seasons and then came back reunited with Doug Peterson. So you really don't know what he's going to bring other than um, <laughs> with with Bruce Arians typically and with uh, with them uh, beforehand, they were in a 3-4 defense. This is typically looked at as a 4-3 defense, so you wonder what they're going to do there. One of the things that Urban Meyer arguably did last season or um, his defensive coordinator did pretty well was stock up the defensive line room um, whether it's big names or not um, they added uh, Roy Robertson Harris and Malcolm Brown Malcolm Brown's a pretty good run stuffing nose tackle Roy Robertson Harris they overpaid him but as like a interior um, like a third down inside pass rusher could be pretty good Devon Hamilton brings depth to the interior defensive line when you look at their edge rushers um, 
obviously they signed Trayvon Walker and they have Josh Allen. And that's where, like I said, it, in a 3-4, like I guess, because a lot of the people said that Trayvon Walker's best traits were off of the football. But I just thought that I thought Georgia was using Trayvon Walker wrong. So, and like, that's the reason, like I was, I think I had Trayvon Walker as a top 10 pick and like, I wasn't too, like Aiden Hutchinson was probably overrated anyways. So like, okay, you're drafting Aiden Hutchinson, you're drafting someone overrated anyways. You take a swing on Trayvon Walker. I don't have a serious issue with that, but if you're drafting Trayvon Walker because of all the things he did off of the football, I thought all of the things he did off of the football made you say, if we use him on the edge as a strict pass rusher, we could actually get like some more more out of him than I think what they were getting. And if we have Josh Allen on the other side of him, we could be something. If we're using them as three, four linebackers, um, I just don't. I have no idea what they're going to do. And then Clavon Chase on a player they drafted, um, you know, it would be typically you would say it would be Trayvon Walker, Josh Allen, Dwayne Smoot, and Clavon Chase on as your four outside rushers: Roy Robertson, Harris, Malcolm Brown, Davon Hamilton. And uh, I guess fully fought Akusi, but then they signed Arden Key as another pass rusher to where, like, that's where I, I don't know because I don't know their defensive coordinator. I don't know what their scheme's going to look like. I don't know how they're going to use Trayvon Walker even. And the funniest thing they did this offseason was uh, I thought Devin Lloyd overrated as, as I've seen a linebacker prospect in a while. He's like 24 years old. It took him a while to excel in the Big 12. He's more of a pass rusher than he is a linebacker off of the football. Um, and then the Jaguars threw huge money at Foyer Olukum from the Atlanta Falcons. Draft Devin Lloyd. They trade up for Devin Lloyd in the first round for some reason because they had to have him. And then Chad Muma, who's arguably better than Devin Lloyd, falls to the third round and they take him. So I don't know what they're going to do with their linebackers either other than, like, yeah, it's probably going to be Foyer is going to be the off-ball guy. Devin Lloyd is going to be the uh, mid middle guy, I guess. Or, yeah, and then Chad Muma is probably going to be I guess the strong side guy, but I mean, really Lloyd should be the strong side guy and Muma should be the Mike, but they, you know, they drafted them in those rounds. It's such an interesting team. Cause then, yeah, I mean the outside Shaq Griffin and Tyson Campbell's pretty good. D Darius Williams, the slot guy from the Rams thought that was an overpay. And then at safety, they overpaid Rayshon Jenkins and Andre Cisco, another guy that because Trent Baalke loves his, uh, his safeties. And that's where, like I said, you look at this roster and you say, as much as Urban Meyer made this a mess, this is Trent Baalke's mess too. You know, Andre Sisco, Trent Baalke. Devin Lloyd as a rookie trading up for him, Trent Baalke. What their scheme is going to be, Trent Baalke. Walker Little, Trent Baalke. You know, it's all over the place that he put them in this situation to where, and there's going to be a power struggle at some point that Doug Peterson's going to win because that's how this typically goes is, you know, um, Urban. Uh, then Trent Balky and Balky blames Urban. So now the blame goes to uh, now Doug comes in free and he's going to blame Trent Balky. You know, and it's just and then so Doug Peterson. Then the GM's going to say, "Well, look at what Doug Peterson did. I can't work with this. I need to hire my own head coach." And then Trevor Lawrence's career is going to be ruined. Is <laughs> you know, really? I mean, you want to say that Doug Peterson can turn this ship around? You want to say at some point he's going to have to fire? Trent Balky, and at some point you're gonna have to see something out of Trevor Lawrence and you say like who's it gonna be Christian Kirk Marvin Jones Zay Jones I don't know it's a it's a real mess and because it's Trevor Lawrence like I keep giving Trevor Lawrence too many wins because people keep telling me he's so good you know and it's it's starting to annoy me it's only a second NFL season I'm already getting annoyed by people telling me how good he is so um I have the Jaguars at 5.1 wins. Like I said, just because I think Trevor Lawrence 
has to take some – and because I, I do like Doug Peterson as a head coach. But, I mean, what an awful roster. <laughs> what a crazy team. What a goofy team. And that's where, like I said, you have Josh Allen and Trayvon Walker. You could at least get excited. You have the interior defensive line depth. You have Tyson Campbell, who had a really good rookie season. But because you don't even know what scheme they're going to run, because they made, you know, because they have Andre Sisco starting, who's probably going to be a weak link in this defense, because you traded up for Devin Lloyd, I just have no faith whatsoever in what the Jaguars are doing. And that's where, yeah, like I said, the Colts should walk away with this division. The only reason they didn't last season was because of Carson Wentz. And now they have an adult in the room. And the Titans should be taking a step back. The Texans should be taking a step forward. And the Jaguars are going to stay the same. But I think those two are going to both have like four, five wins this season. And at least um, the Texans will have a direction next season. Whereas, you know, the Jaguars are just hoping Trevor Lawrence is good. And they're, I mean, I'm hoping that Trent Baalke gets fired. And then at least they can see where they can go from there.